Welcome. I am Allie Parrish, and this is Bringing Down the House podcast. Today, on episode 14, Ja'Kalen and I will be visiting with Iowa Heartland Habitat board member and local housing expert, Lakeisha Beasley, to explore the ways homeownership contributes to a family's ability to build wealth and the ways housing policies have contributed to wealth gaps in our community over the years. Stay tuned for this important conversation and reach out about getting involved through our website at webuildhabitat.org or by following Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity on social media. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Bringing Down the House. I am Ja'Kalen Madison, alongside the Executive Director of the Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity, Miss Allie Paris. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because, hello, first of all, and second of all, <laughs> I always say feel... hi to the people, Allie. Come on now. <laughs> I, I always feel like I should be like going to play a basketball game or something after what you just said. You know, that's fine. <laughs> I, 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 I did at one point in my life I, I did announce basketball games see so see? i mean it's fine i feel like i should be in uniform and picking up a ball right now i mean you can't <laughs> i sure won't i'm not doing I, I will pick up the remote that that is what i will pick up Allie. you could go pick up a basketball all day <laughs> Allie, is this really episode 14 right now it so is and it, it's it's shocking how have we not gotten canceled i don't know we they... are violating something fcc related there's something we're violating there is no way we have been able to get this far into this podcast. You know what's even funnier is that the free billboard that has our faces <laughs> on it, to, like uh, out there, like uh, like advertising this podcast, they just keep it up. Like I keep thinking, like we got to be expired. I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I've had people send me a Snapchat. They're like, "Look, your face is on a billboard," and I was like, "Stop." <laughs> Stop sending me that billboard. <laughs> Why? I, I mean, and everyone, know. here's the thing. There are people listening to this. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I've seen that billboard. <laughs> I have seen that billboard where I look all silky smooth I like a milk like, dud. I, oh, and I literally look whiter than Casper. I have never even seen anything quite so hideous. I, I mean, I listen, <laughs> I, I look at myself in the mirror every morning, but I just said, Jesus, do I really look like that? <laughs> I don't even have a hairline, Allie. I don't even have a hairline. Like, come on. I'm like this bizarre color of like peachy, pinky white that just looks ill. Well, then your like, lips, like, I mean, talk about like jaundice. I, mean, I you know. Don't I don't even. I don't even know what it is. It's something sickly. That's all I know. Oh, but anyway, Jesus. so it's not fine. only have they not canceled us, they still have that stupid billboard. Up. I, I, I don't know what it is. I swear, I think it's just someone that I feel someone has paid to keep it up this long mm-hmm. just to smite us. I think so. I really think. That's I think what they're it having is. fun with it. They're having a lot of fun, and we have a lot of fun scheduled for this show, especially yes. with our guest today, who I think is trying to buy for my position. I think she's trying to replace. Oh. We will talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Let's jump into our mission moment, everyone. So, Allie, what do you got for us? All right. So today's mission moment. So I had a really fun day yesterday. We were able to do something that we've never done before. And um, we were able to build six houses inside all at once at the John Deere factory. 
in Waterloo on Donald Street, and we'd been working on that for a long time. It was a, an idea that John Deere has had for some time to try to get everyone that's employed with Deere the ability to volunteer and give back to the community in some way. And so folks that are kind of stuck inside all the time and in the in the factory and working those kinds of jobs, it's a little bit harder to get out and volunteer and contribute and give back. And so they had the idea that we could do a panel build inside one of the factories at Deer and get more people involved than have ever been involved before. And so that happened. So we, of course, had to take the year off because of COVID and everything else, but it all came to fruition yesterday. And we accomplished that six house panel build. All the walls, basically what that means is all the walls for six houses that were built in one day with the help of John Deere volunteers inside the factory. And now we have six houses ready to go for spring. And it's just, the it's, it was just amazing. So we got to be there and watch it and our staff did such a great job getting organized John Deere's staff helped out a ton and um, just the heart and passion of all the volunteers was super inspiring and it was it was really cool to see all those houses getting ready that's awesome yeah and thank you to John Deere oh I know they're wonderful it was great they're wonderful to work for well work with and I I don't work for them yeah work uh, with yeah Yeah. exactly and you know there's I think people sometimes forget the corporations or the businesses out there that we partner with and Mm -hmm. nonprofits in general I mean they really help bring our mission to fruition Absolutely. And what's even better about those things, too, is that you have people on their businesses that also not only volunteer, but that they serve on their board. Absolutely. And and we have been blessed to have that here as well. And that's actually with our guest today. Uh, She is, I want to make sure I get her title right, because she was all up on me. I wasn't getting it right. So let me make sure I get her title right today. She is the Community Inclusion Strategist at Viridian Credit Union, and I also have the wonderful pleasure of serving on the board with her. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss Lakeisha Veasley to the podcast. Thank you. This has been so hard to try and be quiet. Thank you. And I will also make it known, too, that Lakeisha also holds a master's in public policy Mm -hmm. as well. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know why I'm here. (laughs) Her and Allie are just going to talk for the next 25 minutes, and I'll just be done. You know, when I was recruiting people to the board, I was like, um, I need a housing brain. It needs to be Lakeisha. (laughs) She knows more about housing than any person in the literal planet, I swear. I mean, but... Seriously. I know. I love it. Yes. I love And that was not why I recruited Jacqueline to the board. Let me no, just be clear. I still don't know why I'm here. I really don't. There's purpose. There's purpose. Good Lord willing. If someone can tell me why I am on any board that I sit on, please let me know. Because I still haven't figured it out yet. You have your own special talents. Yeah, that's what my mother Which is also me. obvious. <laughs> well, no, but Allie brings up a good point. When it comes mm-hmm. to housing, Lakeisha mm-hmm. is... Is, I, I would dare to say a true professional in she this is. area and Absolutely. has been so helpful and beneficial to our agency or, and, and to the organization. Yep. Uh, and, and for years prior to us. So. Yeah. I mean, Lakeisha, go ahead and just kind of speak to a little bit of what you have been able to help uh, in a general sense. I know we're going to dive in a little <laughs> bit deeper here, but yeah. what has your experience been like on the board with Habitat? Um, it's been a great experience just to see how the board being on the board to see how the agency has grown. The biggest, like the most exciting thing is the change of the housing styles. Mm. Cause I'm born and raised in Waterloo and we knew like, if you drove to a certain area, you knew that was a habitat house. 
and you wasn't happy about it. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Like, you know what I mean? But like, I think seeing the different styles has been so inspiring. I'm always trying to share with everyone because I think like a lot of times those houses coming in those neighborhoods really bring character, really sometimes it's the nicest houses on the block. So that has probably been the most rewarding. I think the other thing is just understanding the passion that everybody that we're doing this and we're volunteering, but it is a passion for us. And I've been able to kind of do what I went to school for, kind of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you go to school and I got my master's in public policy and my focus was on housing, but I've done a lot of things around community engagement. But being on the board allows me to really dig into what I went to school for and to really be able to kind of leave my fingerprints on this whole housing thing. So That's awesome. And leave her fingerprints she has. (laughs) So, mm-hmm. Lakeisha, we're going to start in a conversation, but one thing that I just have a question on, and I think that this is going to come up a lot in our discussion, can you define the term wealth building to mm. us Ooh. and what it is? So when I think about wealth building, it is the ability to have assets, more assets than liability, Mm. to be able to then liquidate it if you should need it, to be able to pass down to the next generation. So I have in here that wealth is intergenerational. Mm. And so that a lot of times when you are looking to build wealth, it requires a couple of years to really build wealth. You can have assets and you can have like some money in the bank, but that longevity of wealth is something that's intergenerational and has to happen where you're, you know, passing off those assets in such a way that you're not tapping into them. You know what I mean? That they are literally there and your day-to-day living and your access to basic needs, you're not pulling out from that particular asset that you have. Okay. So let me so let me ask you this then. So how does home ownership then play into that idea of wealth, wealth building? So um, home ownership like, is probably the, the most secure way because real estate is limited. You know, there's limited land and all these different things. And so being able to have a home, and then two, for one, is providing a roof over your head, mm-hmm. for one. But for two, as you have this mortgage and you're paying it down, then as you lower the principal balance of that loan, then you start to build what we call equity. Mm. And so um, with that equity, it allows you be, to be able to tap into it and liquidate it. So if you need to pull it out to cover your college education, or to even start another business that will bring in another source of income. Home ownership allows you to do that. And again, it's serving two purposes. It's allowing you to build wealth, but it also is covering that need to be able to have shelter and affordable housing. Absolutely. So then is that why one could say that homeowners then are quote unquote wealthier, I put that in air quotations, than renters? Um, yeah, (laughs) I like so when I a lot of times people cringe at saying wealthier, I would say building assets or building wealth, it happens more for homeowners because of that equity. Mm -hmm. When you are a renter, you're kind of at the mercy of the landlord. Mm -hmm. Um, And typically the, the renting costs, you're helping somebody else build wealth essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, that is their asset. When you're a homeowner, every time you're paying your mortgage down, you are actually building money for you to be able to use later on, as long as that property continues to either maintain and and ideally appreciate in value. That is how you're able to then use that equity to be able to do other things to um, help you be successful and have that upward mobility. Mm -hmm. So, yes, so renters tend to, you know, nothing against renting, you know what I'm saying? Home ownership, it, it requires a mindset shift. So, you know, you have to be ready. 
So even though it's something that definitely I would encourage for people to be able to build wealth, you have to be prepared because you have to take care of that asset. You have to make sure that you understand how to maintain it and also protect it. And later on, I think we're going to talk a little bit about predatory lending because 2018, during the housing crisis, I learned way more than I ever wanted to know about the mortgage process and predatory lending and how it stripped away equity for people when this was their largest asset. Mm -hmm. So homeownership is very important. And I I think it is one of the key ways for people to be able to pass on wealth to the next generation. I think that part's really important too, is as I've learned more about it, studied more about it, is just this idea of generational, you know, wealth and the ability to, to, like you just said, pass on to the next generation. Because honestly, sometimes that, you know, historically could be the start is that it started with someone doing it and then they were able to then when they passed away maybe they you know the family could sell the home and then they had the money then to invest in something else or into education or into the future of the children or what have you so I like what you said in the beginning is that sometimes it's a it's a long time Mm -hmm. before you recognize or family or generations in a family may recognize the benefit you know even of that home ownership yes and I think too part of my study in housing is looking at how real estate and housing helps to build wealth and one of the biggest times where you saw the opportunity for home ownership to really shift the playing field for people was doing the GI Bill in like 1940s. Mm. And so a lot of um, veterans were coming back and they were able to buy houses, but you had people of color and African-Americans who were veterans but did not have that ability to Mm. be able to purchase a house. Now, if you think about wealth being intergenerational, let's say your great-great-grandfather bought this house and they paid it off and then they passed it on to you. And then, then you may have a down payment or you may even have this house to then be able to use to rent property or you could actually pull the equity from a paid house that's mm-hmm. paid off. So I think that was where you saw millions of people move into home ownership, especially veterans returning from the war. And it was a missed opportunity for people of color and African-American veterans to be able to then have an opportunity to build wealth. So that is like as I studied the history of home ownership and the ability to be able to to accumulate wealth through that path, I saw a lot of things that happen systemically in in public policy that contribute to the wealth gap because people of color, low income people did not have access. Yeah, I'm really glad that you, you know, are starting to speak to that because that was that was definitely gonna be something that I was gonna ask next is, you know, when you think about the intergenerational what did happen, what did happen and what did not happen back in the 40s, back in those days that made it so difficult for African-American families or fam- all families mm-hmm. basically to have the same access and the same rights. Right. So I'm a history buff. I Woo! love, like, I love history. It's so is Valley. Really? Great. That's perfect. I am not. So I am you, not. Can, you can fact check me. No. Oh, but, heavens no. She likes to but, fact check me too, so. <laughs> He's always the one that gets the trivia, right? (laughs) Right. So I like one of the things in looking at um, actually my paper in grad school was on the history of homeownership policy. Mm. So looking at when things really start to shift where you saw like a public policy focus on homeownership was right after the Great Depression. Mm. So under the New Deal with President Roosevelt and all those different things, you saw intentionality in trying to increase homeownership. And so you saw this thing uh, in the National Housing Act of 1934 
where you basically saw where the government was willing to back mortgages because at the time it was hard for lenders to say, okay, we're going to um, allow you to have this mortgage. The economy is bad. We don't know if you're going to have jobs to be able to pay for it. But then the government said, hey, we're going to back it up, right? So that sounds all fine, well, and good, mm-hmm. except that then in that same proclamation, they decide, oh, but there are certain areas we're not going to insure and back up. So we don't want you to lend in those areas. And we call that redlining. Mm. So those areas happen to be where African-Americans, people of color actually lived. And so then it created this this blockage for people to then be able to move into home ownership and to be able to have the ability to build wealth. Because if you can't buy a house, you know, I mean, because then there's restrictive covenants that wouldn't allow you to even buy in certain neighborhoods. And then you go back to the fact where if in your neighborhood, if you wanted to buy, you couldn't get a mortgage. So I think the thing that's most interesting is that people don't understand that there was an intentionality to keep African-Americans and people of color to be able to use homeownership as a wealth building tool. Yeah. And that's where we arise today, because when I look at all the things that were public policy, things that were put in place, the restrictive covenants, if you had a house in these restrictive covenants, I've seen them in Iowa. I, I went to look up and pull up some of the deeds. And it was basically saying you cannot sell this house to a person of African-American descent or wow. African descent or, um, I, and I want to get this right. I want to say it was Latino, Hispanic. Mm. Can't remember the verbiage exactly, but essentially you knew what they were trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm looking at these restrictive covenants. So think about how you're trying to figure out like the American dream is to own a land, to be a homeowner, and that's how you build wealth. But there are barriers everywhere to stop you from being able to do that. Whether you're a veteran or whatever the case may be, you should have had access and you didn't. And so when you have the government sanctioning this redlining, this government like basically saying we're okay with this level of segregation, it becomes like a no-win situation. Mm-hmm. And so this is where we see ourselves with having this wealth gap, knowing that home ownership is the greatest tool to be able to build wealth and then to see all the barriers that were put in place to stop you from being able to have that access is disheartening. Yeah, So I would... Uh... First off, I would just uh, suggest to our viewers to go back and listen to our podcast that we had on Redline. Yeah. I mean, that was just so... And that's what... If anyone heard a little a little music playing, I was trying to be slick and go back and find a name uh, for what episode it was. But obviously, I don't know how to work technology. Uh, however you're listening to us, you can go back and you can listen to it. But I mean, it's, it is it is interesting when you think of redlining and how that has shaped the landscape of where we are today when it comes to housing and mm-hmm. what's considered like the ghetto or what's mm-hmm. considered you know like property mm-hmm. and to see all of these things that like to, to know that in the deed it literally said you can't sell this house to I'm paraphrasing a person of color yeah. it just that's that is unfathomable to me yeah. like I can't even picture thinking of that or or reading that or knowing that like oh no I'm I can never buy that house because of what's in the deed and yeah. it's still in there so uh, yeah. when I used to um so part of my job before I came to Viridian, I worked at Operation Threshold. And in 2008, there was this huge housing crisis, right? Mm-hmm. And so we did the statewide foreclosure prevention with, with Iowa Finance Authority, with the State Attorney General's office. And during that time, we were looking at a lot of mortgages. And that's where I would read. And I could go back. And it's still in the abstract mm-hmm. of a lot of properties. Wow. So, I mean, it's documented. And I was just like, wow, I cannot, mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Right. But 
Yes. And, you know, another thing, too, about with housing policy, too, is so you have it that this government sanctioned type of thing to prevent people from being able to move into home ownership and build wealth. But then you have the business part of it. So just the other day, probably a couple of months ago, I was reading an article about this family in California. They had got a house. They were really excited. They put $400,000 in it and all these different things to try because they wanted to, to accumulate. And so once they got it all done, then they had somebody come in to appraise it. And the appraiser came and said, well, now it's only valued at $100,000 more. Now, mind you, they put in $400,000 work. And so you're trying to tell me that it's only $100,000 more. So these borrowers got a little you know, creative. So they said, you know what, well, let me check to see if race has something to do with this. So they had their white friend come in and basically <gasps> make their house look like it was theirs. Oh. And it increased, the appraiser came back and increased the value to over $500,000. What? Yes, this was in California. Just recently. Just recently. Oh yes. My gosh. And I was just like, so if, if you deal with not being able to have access even in the past, mm. you know, because of restrictive policies and things from the government. But even now, then you have these entities that are involved in the, ho- the housing market that have these other barriers of undervaluing property. So when you go and buy a house, the hope is that you're going to take care of it, invest in it so the value would appreciate. Mm. So the hope is when the appraiser come, they would see and be able to, you know, increase that value. But if they're doing the opposite, it's a no win. Well, and it should be, you know, it should be subjective, not, what is the word? Objective? Mm-hmm. Whichever. Right. It's supposed yeah. to be the thing that you're not supposed to have bias. Yes. yes. <laughs> I think objective. it's objective. Yes. Objective. I think it's objective. Yes. Don't call me an English major. <laughs> Trust me, we weren't. <laughs> Caitlin, I'm sorry. Caitlin, I'm sorry. That's right. She, <laughs> she was an English major. Caitlin's her daughter, ladies I and love you, but I'm sorry. Who is cringing right yeah. now. No, but okay. you know what I meant. Right. You know Absolutely. what I meant. Like I'm uh, picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> Absolutely. It's supposed to be based on facts. And, and objective. It, and it's supposed to be objective. Exactly. And, and how in heaven's name that continues you know, it just it just floors me. Right. It, it does. It, it does floor me. And that just to know that that still is happening. Mm. It, it's just right. Because yeah. I don't want people to think that like when discrimination and racism is really a thing of the past, it evolves. Yeah. And so you have to be aware of what it looks like and how it manifests in different ways. The subtlety of it. No one is as blatant as it used to be. But I mean, there's this this evolution because there's some people and there's some entities that are committed to it continuing to exist. I mean, I think that's where it becomes very important to be able to not turn a blind eye. Right. See something, say something. Exactly. You know, follow your instincts. So. Which no. I think is interesting, too, because I think, like, in some ways, you know, you would say, okay, the very obvious, clear, written policy that has it right there is worse. But then is it? Because, because on some levels... then you start to develop more trust that it's better today Mm -hmm. or that, you know, and whatever. And so you just, you don't even think that it's happening or, oh, well, it can't possibly be or what have you. And and then it's even more almost destructive in a a way because it's very, very much still there. Let me ask you this. And you mentioned it earlier, um, the the term, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm the guy over here again without a master's degree. So uh, at least you knew what objective or subjective was. I still don't, Allie. I, I really don't. Let's be honest about the situation. Um, but uh, what when you mentioned predatory lending, what mm-hmm. I mean, go, what is that? I mean, I kind of have an idea when I think of lending and when I think of what a predator is. But mm-hmm. I mean, is it really that black and white? 
No. Like, I mean, this is, this is what I've found. When it comes down to predatory lending, anytime when people are trying to scam you, they're pretty smart because they always are evolving and changing how they're going to do it. So mm -hmm. predatory lending, I can give you a definition, but how it shows up, there's a lot of different ways. So predatory lending is any practice of a lender or creditor that imposes unfair or abusive loan terms on to borrowers, and it can show up in giving them higher interest rates than what their credit score should allow them to be able to have. It could be packing in fees, imaginary fees, and things like that to increase their profit off of that loan or whatever the case may be. It may be going in and purposely stripping equity away from a house. You know, like mm -hmm. we saw that a lot during the foreclosure crisis, especially for families who were house rich but cash poor. Mm -hmm. So, they, you know, they're going back and they're refinancing and refinancing and refinance. Well, every time they're thinking they're taking out this little bit of cash, but every time that transaction happens, a whole bunch of people getting paid. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, essentially it's stripping away from that equity. The other thing, the bait and switch, I found a lot of times. Uh, people would get into houses and they didn't understand the mortgage terms. They didn't understand they had adjustable rates in red mm -hmm. instead of a fixed rate, or they had a balloon payment that matured in 10 years. And they were like, what do you mean? Like, you, you signed this document. And so um, false advertising, where we had certain what we call subprime lenders, they would go and particularly target a certain area, usually people of color, a neighborhood, and then they would promise all of this, we can give you better rates and all these different things. And then they would get them there to closing. And then all of the terms of what they promised is not the truth. It's a whole bait and switch. And But there's this pressure. Now, when the borrower is before you, they just sign here, sign there. And people don't really they're not familiar with all the paperwork and the terms and they're trusting you because like they believe that you wouldn't take advantage so looking at predatory lending it, it it's throughout the whole process there's not just one person you have some realtors who were involved in it you have definitely loan officers you have appraisers where they would come in and they would know that the property was not worth what it was but to get the loan to close they would over appraise it knowing that eventually the borrower would be upside down mm -hmm. so we saw a lot of that during the housing crisis where when we had the affordable well, what was it called um, it was a loan modification. I can't remember mm -hmm. what it was, but it was under the Obama administration. So we would have to go in, and people, lenders literally had to forgive thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars against the property to get the modification to work for the loan wow. because they were upside down. They were underwater. So they have a, a property that a loan that is let's say one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, but the real value of it is maybe only seventy five. Mm. Or, you know, or even lower than that. And so this animal of predatory lending, like people think, oh, it's not that bad because they think when it's at the height of something, once it starts to not be the thing that's in the news, that somehow it's dissolved. It's not. It just changes mm -hmm. and find different ways to be able to manifest and show up. One thing that we've seen, too, is like I honestly think credit card companies are at fault of this as well as uh, car loan, you know, kind of buy here, pay here situations where, you know, you think about you think about the day the person turns 18 and how much mail they get mm -hmm. that's asking them to apply for these high interest credit cards, mm -hmm. you know, and how quickly someone can land themselves in a significant amount of mm -hmm. debt that they are often never, never easily able to get out of. And then the buy here, pay here, car situations and things where these people will come in and, and with the income they have, I mean, they're paying $500 a month 
in a car loan for a literal junker that's going to fall apart yes, tomorrow. Exactly. And just to be able to, you know, have the ability to to purchase a car and some of these things that we've even seen are just so detrimental in someone being able to jump over that hurdle and right. stabilize, you know, through through home ownership and, and good things, good yeah. ways to invest your money and, and good lending practices, right. you know, Absolutely. that'll help. And just to speak to that, you know, I've always said, and if uh, a certain friend of mine is listening to this podcast, him and I have had this conversation many times, but uh, I always find it funny that at the age of 18, I'm not smart enough to make the decision on to drink properly, but I can go sign for a $100,000 yeah. loan and put <laughs> yes. myself in debt, you know, yeah. you know mm-hmm. two months into my adulthood career. So I, I just, I, I completely agree with you mm-hmm. on yeah. that. But when we talk about uh, the idea, and uh, gosh, this, our time goes by so I know, fast. So oh my gosh, how many, how many minutes we got left? Uh, <laughs> we got all the time in the world We got some time. We got all okay. the time in the world. Uh, but I, you know, Allie, I, I do want to talk about Habitat and, mm-hmm. you know, how that whole process happens with families and uh, how they aren't having to deal with all of these issues of, you know, being upside down or having all these hidden fees and things like that. And I know that, Lakeisha, you have, you and Allie have, you know, been like conjoined twins when it comes to, <laughs> to this topic. Uh, and, and, and it's wonderful because, it, but it is, it's so helpful to have someone. I mean, you guys, I mean, have obviously have just experienced the knowledge that she has. And mm-hmm. to have someone like this on the board, yeah. especially with this type of, a group is just it's outstanding yes uh, yeah i mean she's been definitely um i love all of our board members but i've been so thrilled every every day that keisha's <laughs> been here uh, yeah, because right. um i just because i knew her just a little you know beforehand and stuff and i just every time she'd open her mouth and talk about housing i'm like oh please i want to drink from a fire hose when it comes <laughs> with lakeisha yeah. oh yeah she just she knows so much and um and she cares so much and that part, you know, means a lot to me too. So, um, and I believe, I'm just gonna say, I believe in the mission of Habitat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It really, it's a way of trying to level the playing field mm-hmm. with home ownership. And like I said, the houses, I'm so proud of them and just the structure and things like that. But also for people who felt like home ownership was never going to be an opportunity that they would be able to achieve. To be able to say, hey, there is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And not only are you going to be able to be a homeowner, but you're going to be a homeowner in a, a house that's brand new, that's just yours, that you just lived in, and it's a quality, affordable house. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that to me, like I said, how could I not want to be a part of that? And I feel I counted a privilege to be able to do that because in my mind, I was like, man, if I had some money, I probably would try and you know build some affordable housing, but I don't have money like that. <laughs> so that's my habitat. It's so like it's so amazing. Like I said, and under and I've always supported the model. But like I said, being able to connect with Allie and just to see how she just came in and you talk about changing the flavor. Like in such a good way. Like I'm telling you, I'm so proud of just how, you know, the different um housing structures. I'll keep talking about that because I've I'm always showing people I'm like, you need to come see this. Mm-hmm. So this is the one. Like, you know, just mm-hmm. showing all the different things because each person that has been able to achieve home ownership under um with Habitat and they talk about like my house is beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, and I think that, you know, I, I, I'm glad that that means a lot to you because, you know, it is an area where we've been criticized a little bit. And even in a way that surprised me when we started making some of those changes is just some of the criticism 
criticism we got around it's too nice of a house. And it just and it drives me crazy because I'm like, you know what? Um, first of all, these families are buying these houses. Second of all, they deserve them. And, and third of all, these neighborhoods in our community deserves you know, beautiful, beautiful places, beautiful spaces and um, beautiful homes. So I, I'm glad that that's resonated with yes. you and that there are people that that understand that and and want to fight for that. I'm so disturbed that somebody's like, that's too nice yeah. for someone. Like, that's how nice. is that too nice? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that shows you the heart of someone. Right. Like my mom always said, hurt mm-hmm. people hurt people. That's mm-hmm. right. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before we before we wrap it up, Allie, can you just quickly walk us through? I mean, man, this time. I know it was so hard. <laughs> I had a whole lot of stuff. I was she ready. Had a dissertation <laughs> ready. Hold we're up. Gonna, here, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna bring her back. Yes. Well, I, so I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make this suggestion right now. I was thinking about this while Lakeisha was talking. I think that there's so much mm-hmm. to break away of this iceberg of what is um, mortgage lending, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we we just started talking about uh, predatory lending and all mm-hmm. this stuff. I think that Lakeisha come back. I also think that we should possibly try and open it up to receive questions from yeah. people because yeah. buying a home is an everyday thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you're all, people are always looking for homes. People are always looking for what does refinancing mean? I mean, as a homeowner myself, there are certain things I'm listening to like, oh, wait. Yeah. Hold yeah. Let me go back and check yeah. this lease room. What does it say? Hold yeah. up. Uh, like, I will, I'm definitely going to go pull that abstract out tonight and be like, let me really look at this real quick and see what we've been paying for. Yes. But I think that we should open it up to viewers I to also ha- ask questions because you do, it's not every day that you get to sit down and just talk to someone mm-hmm. before you make a big decision like exactly. this. Absolutely. So, and Lakeisha, if you don't mind, we'd love for you to come I back. I would love to be able to live in that space. So invite yep. me back. Yes. And I would be happy. She's already got it for my position. <laughs> uh, we just want to spend time with her. We do. So. We do. But Al, I want to just, I want to yeah. quickly bring you in and, and have mm-hmm. you talk about kind of what that process is of homeowners and how they buy their homes, how they, um, end up getting to own them because I mean they go through a mortgage process too mm-hmm. and all of that so how does that work on the side of Habitat? Yeah absolutely so families that show an interest that don't own their home right now and are really you know having some barriers to being able to do that by conventional means or what have you so they contact Habitat. Um, we do have unfortunately a long waiting list but once we start contacting families you know it can sometimes move pretty quickly so I wouldn't have that deter anybody but once their opportunity comes to actually apply you know there's there's steps that we walk through with them paperwork and all those kinds of things kind of similar to applying for a home loan but we look at you know we don't have a certain credit score that we're necessarily trying to hit or anything like that we do uh, focus on families that incomes kind of fall between 30 and 80 percent of the average median income for our area so we always help families figure out what those figures are we can tell them that in advance based on family size but we're we're really trying to work with the families that really um, need it the most when they work with us um, fill out the paperwork we have a great staff that helps walk them through that process, answers any questions that they may have, and then it goes to a couple of levels of approval. And if there's any concerns or issues, you know, we certainly would sit down with the family and and talk through that and then ensure that we have opportunities for them to also get maybe some financial counseling if maybe they aren't quite ready for for being approved for the program um, or need any other assistance if we can't qualify them uh, right at right at the front end. So we have a, another new program called Blueprints. That's a partnership with family management that provides some intensive credit counseling and financial counseling to help a family that really still may have some barriers and hurdles to get over in order to qualify for, for purchasing a home. So we have 
have a lot of different things that we can do in ways that we can work with the family. But I would encourage anybody to apply. The, the application process is not scary. We help you through it. And it's, it's great to be able to work with families. Wonderful. I love that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, again, want to thank Miss Lakeisha Veasley, who is, hold on, let me get this right here, the Community Inclusion Strategist. Whoop, whoop. So good. Her, hold up, hold up. With her master's oh, yeah. in public policy. I know. Ladies and gentlemen, we are definitely going to have her back. If you have any questions that you want us to ask Lakeisha, you know, you can leave it uh, on comment on our Facebook page or our Instagram if you follow us on social media. But you can also email us at nschlax at webuildhabitat.com. Dot org. So that is N-S-C-H-L-A-X at WeBuildHabitat.org. So go ahead and just email whatever question you have for Lakeisha, and we will have her back on in the near future Yay. to talk a lot about all A of lot this. of things. <laughs> all the things that Everything you and I don't understand. And... My head hurts. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> But it's, it's not over yet, Lakeisha, yeah. because we are going to jump into some trivia. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back from her wonderful vacation in the Bahamas, Nora. Woohoo! I'm back. Nora's all over here just tan and glistening and sparkling. I was not in the Bahamas. And I also do need to provide a correction on our questions last week. I did not play favoritism at all. <laughs> Nora, that podcast has already happened. I'm sorry. That's a, I'm sorry. That podcast has already happened. So what is in the past is in the past. There's a reason the rearview mirror is smaller than the actual window. So go ahead. Move forward. We know who your favorite is. <laughs> Anyways, what is our trivia question? So this one I just have to bring back because we all sat down after our Builder Circle breakfast together, and I don't think I had laughed that much in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but we started talking about The Sims. Oh, no. oh <laughs> my gosh, I forgot about that! Oh, <laughs> And all of us is coming out right now. (laughs) So I needed to do some research. I picked this one specifically for us. And I want to know if you can tell me what the reasoning behind the creation of The Sims was. (gasps) Oh, I used to know this. She totally called us out in such an embarrassing way. Listen, I don't have many cool points as it is. Like, my street cred is, like, low. So you ruined whatever little street cred I just had, Nora. Well, and the saddest part is I think we started the conversation because I confessed I was addicted years ago. Oh, my God. Allie had a Sims problem. She I did. Like, I really I mean, did. We all have Sims problems. I know. Right? I really did. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh I used to know this. I don't Why did they create the Sims? Oh, mm. Because it was kind of like modeled off of something. I think they modeled it off of something else. And he didn't. The creator was like, no, this isn't. I want. It, it needs to be more open. Like we need to be able to do more. We need to be able to do this. I want people to have more creativity. And I, I, I think that was what it was. Okay. Like, there was a game that was already out that was kind of like a simulation game, 
And they were like, no, this can be far better. Mm. I want to say that's what it was. Wow. Okay. So he always does this. He figures out some way to, like, he probably will be exactly yeah, that. Like, and I'm I like, I have an idea. You got to say something. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I, I mean, he took the most logical explanation. I know. He always does um, what he ends up listen, being right. Or he gives us. Degree, so no, I'm just trying to. That has I'm grasping for straws. And then here. he gives us some range or something, and it'll fall, like, right in the middle. Like, what percentage of this, the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and 100%. Allie, you know, you like, oh my God. You was 100,000 square feet. Okay. So don't come at me right now. Okay. Do I want to come at me. I want to hear what soon, Keisha has soon. to say. Um, I'm like, because I, I absolutely don't know. I'm just going to say, maybe somebody was like, you know what? We want humanity to feel like they can create something. <laughs> So I'm going to develop this game and help people to realize that they can build the life that they want. Someone send this to the creator of the sin, please. Someone send this to EA and Maxis. I have no idea. Oh my gosh. I am so much more cynical. I'm like some, I'm thinking it's some person that never had a life that they wanted. And so this was the life, this was their way to like, to create the life that they wanted. So I'm going like ultra dark. Yes. So we can kill people in pools and starve people. It's like some real introvert that never got to be outwardly who they felt like they were on the inside. And they're just going to live it through the Sims. Allie, you want to talk to my therapist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey, I've needed a therapist for so long. <laughs> she's, she's, she's free on Tuesday. Oh, okay. My How are we doing, Carolyn? Uh, good, to, good to hear you. She's like, wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We're okay gonna, I need to know. We're going to pass answers. it back. We're going to pass answers. it back. Where are we at, Nora? Okay, so the creator actually had, you know, sometimes good things come from bad things and he had a house fire and he designed it so that he could design out the furniture that he wanted to build his new home. Oh, oh so that's that is stupid. That is something very logical. I mean, <laughs> you can do that on an app with IKEA. Like, you well, know, not back in the day when Sims first came out. I don't care. Draw it then. <laughs> I really like my dark idea better. I mean, that, I would go with that at least. <laughs> Mine was a little bit more inspirational. Yes. Play with Legos. That's what Lincoln Logs were for. You created a whole game because you couldn't get the right couch in your house? That made me upset. I'm it upset. made him rich, right? <laughs> That's he got true. rich. I'm yeah. There you go. Let's not talk That's, about how much money I spent to that. that. <laughs> oh, man. man. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good... Thanks, Nora, for bringing back The Sims. <laughs> Nora, I'd like to talk one with you my... after the podcast, please. Um... One of my most embarrassing, you know, admissions oh. ever, but yet I did. Jesus. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we have definitely outstayed our welcome, but we thank you so much for staying with us on this crazy ride. Wonderful. Thank you again to our guest, Lakeisha Viesley. We are definitely going to have her back on the podcast again. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Kayla Mazin. She is Allie Parrish. We thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you right back here at the same place you found us next time. Take care.